Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, Tommy Dreamer and I talk about the history of Starcade on Thanksgiving from 83 to 87 right now on the Busted Open Podcast. Welcome back to Busted Open. Dave LaGreca, Tommy Dreamer. This very special holiday edition, we're talking about the Thanksgiving tradition of Starcade from 1983 to 1987, Tommy. And when you talk about Starcade 85, The Gathering, this is probably the greatest Starcade of all time. I know for myself, I waited eight frigging maybe nine weeks to finally get this VCR tape in the mail. I complained to the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, my friend, that I had to wait so long. But back in the day, I wore this tape out. I was afraid that I watched so much, it would actually stretch the actual VCR tape. But yeah, man, The Gathering and another, you know, we just talked to Greg Valentine, who basically talks about the legendary dog collar match. But this match and this show had one legendary I quit match that has set the bar for so many. Very, very uh, quick story, Tommy, is I ordered this VHS tape. It never came. And I so I complained. I actually called the offices and complained that I never got it. And then I got it, and then I got it again. So I had two copies of, of The Gathering. So one wore out. I had another copy. And they actually, because of the inconvenience, and it was more my mistake than theirs. They gave me a gathering T-shirt with Dusty and Ric Flair on the shirt. So Nanny, God, Nanny, you Boo-Boo lucky you. son of a bitch. <laughs> All right, let's get into it because this is before, obviously, WrestleMania 2. WrestleMania 2, as everyone knows, was in two different locations. Well, Starcade 85 was in two separate locations it was in the omni in atlanta and of course the greensboro coliseum just like starcade 83 and starcade 84 and it went back and forth one match back one match forth when it came to greensboro and atlanta and let's go through the card really quick tommy uh started off in greensboro coliseum you had crusher khrushchev against sam houston for the nwa mid-atlantic heavyweight championship And then in the Omni, Manny Fernandez against Abdul the Butcher in a Mexican death match. Go back and watch this match. It's bloody as hell. Then back. Yeah, it's it's, it's awesome. Go back to Greensboro. Ron Bass against Black Bart in a Texas bull rope match. I mean... I mean, it's like like a a wrestling fan's wet dream so far, Tommy. With the stipulation that if uh, Ron Bass wins, he gets to have J.J. Dillon... Uh, alone in a Texas bull rope match. I remember this like, it was, dude, I'm telling you, I watched this show so many times. I'm loving and, it. And I'm glad you said that because then you did get James J. Dillon 
against Ron Bass in that Texas bull rope match. Then they went back to the Omni for superstar Billy Graham against the Barbarian in an arm wrestling match. Then back to Greensboro for Buddy Landell against Terry Taylor for the NWA National Heavyweight Championship. And where then, J.J. Dillon held his foot on the superplex. Damn straight he did. And then back to the, to the Omni for Ole Anderson and Arn Anderson, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, against Wahoo McDaniel and Billy Jack Haynes for the NWA National Tag Team Championship. And then back to Greensboro. And this is where I'll pause for a second because you just mentioned it, that most people would say this is the greatest Starcade match of all time. It's in my top 10, Tommy, of the greatest matches in pro wrestling history, and that's Magnum TA against Tully Blanchard in an I Quit match in a steel cage for the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship. The historic significance of this match, because it was one of, you know, truly one of its kind, and the brutalness of it uh we had baby doll on the show she had talked about it the feud between magnum and tully uh exchanging the united states championship again being inside a steel an i quit match inside of a steel cage i had probably a very famous uh i've had a few i quit matches me versus cw anderson was one of a, a more famous violent match because that's what these type of matches are and i'm telling you i busted out my old vcr tape of the gathering and went back and watched Magnum versus Tully so I could do a little schooling of how I was going to beat up on C.W. Anderson. So that's how good this match has held up through time. Yeah, and a lot of people talk about Paul Heyman's facial expressions when he's managing Roman and Brock Lesnar. Go back and watch the facial expressions of Baby Doll in this match you know, with Magnum T.A. and Tully Blanchard. It's unbelievable, Tommy. And then, of course, when and, – and listen – Tully Blanchard never says I quit because Tommy Young asks him, do you quit? And he said, yes, but in an I quit match, Tommy, as you know, being involved in them yourself, you're supposed to say I quit. Tully Blanchard never said the words I quit. Well, next time we have Tully on the show, you can uh, bring that up to him. Maybe he'll appreciate that. No, I know. we got to get Tommy Young on. Because Tommy Young is not supposed to ask the question. You're supposed to let him say, I quit. Am I wrong, Tommy? That is, uh, I guess it's uh, logistics, but he did say, yes, <laughs> yes. Because he was going to lose an eye. Yeah, man. I mean, as competitive as Tully Blanchard was, and he was ultra competitive, you don't want to lose an eye, Tommy. No, especially not in a wrestling match. No. Uh, then we go, and you're going to love this one. Then they go back to the Omni, and this is one of the more underrated matches as part of the gathering, and that is Jimmy Boogie Woogie Man Valiant and Miss Atlanta Lively against the Midnight Express. Some people say, Tommy, rumor has it that Miss Atlanta Lively was the man with the hands of stone, Ronnie Garvin. Ronnie had a few uh, matches where he uh, dressed up in disguise yes. uh, for his fights. I did not understand the whole Miss Atlanta Lively <laughs> thing, um, but hey, they were, uh, I don't know what to describe. And I also remember when Miss Atlanta Lively was bleeding. Yeah. And I was just like, what is going on in this? It was chaos. And, you know, and on Thanksgiving, the family loves chaos. You get it at the dinner table when you're having your turkey. And then you got it later on in the evening uh, at the Omni in Atlanta uh, as part of Starcade 
85. Then you have going back to the Greensboro Coliseum and their quote-unquote main event in a steel cage for the NWA World Tag Team Championships, the Rock and Roll Express against Ivan Koloff and Nikita Koloff. With good old Don Cranoodle. Don Cranoodle, one hell of a run in Mid-Atlantic. In their corner with Crusher Khrushchev in the Russians' corner. And rock and roll reigns supreme that evening. Another steel cage match. Another steel cage match. And then you go to the main event at the Omni and the main event of the gathering. And that's Dusty Rhodes against Ric Flair with Dusty winning the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Absolutely. It's I'm reading some editing notes and I don't know if I agree with it, but uh, that match was uh, I know this was from a logistics standpoint, very, very hard to do, though. You know, the events drew a lot, but from the logistics and like you said earlier, and it's funny how we've been talking about, you know, when we host Busted Open, wars you know the 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 monday night wars these two companies have been going at it for a long long time uh with you know we even talked about how wcw they kind of instigated a few things when they were looking to expand and here is they're going to do two cities and then the year later here comes wrestlemania too and they're going to three locations so it's just everyone's trying to up each other it's like okay well you did you have your super bowl show uh, Starcade, we're going to do WrestleMania. And then it's like, all right, well, you did it in two cities. Well, I'll do it in three. Yeah, it was crazy. And also, too, when you talk about wars, to go back to Dusty and Rick, we we mentioned before that Starcade 84, the fans went home unhappy because of the decision of the referee. The fans went home happy that night because Dusty had beaten Flair, but it didn't stand. Because of outside interference, Tommy Young reversed the decision and Dusty won by disqualification. And when you win by disqualification, Tommy, you don't win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. So Dusty did not win the championship and the championship title went back to Ric Flair. You know, that's what I was trying to say here where I'm I'm just reading this and I, if you would have asked me, I would be like, for sure that Dusty won it. And I'm pretty sure it was one of his recognized championship. But we have, like I said, we need to do an entire show on phantom title changes because I don't know if this was actually recognized by the NWA. And you're telling me that it's not, but it should have because the referee counted one, two, three. And hence why at times we sometimes like to dink the terms of so he's so over, we call something the dusty finish. Yeah, and we, we could do shows on the dusty finish. But yeah, you look top to bottom. This is probably the greatest starcade of all time, Tommy. Do you agree? Absolutely. And I really wish I still had that pink cover uh, and that excitedness when you hear your VCR tape moving back and forth and it would go click. The only other <laughs> tape I had looked like it was a movie thing was the actual from Gremlins. So I had those two in my special cases and the rest all. It didn't fit great in my my VCR holder cases, but it was well worth the, the price, even though I had to wait nine weeks. <clears throat> well, you know what? When we come back, Starcade 86 is remembered probably not for the World Heavyweight Championship, but for tag teams and a very interesting type of matchup as well, because if you remember the name of Starcade 86, it was Night of the Skywalkers, and that was the reason behind it. And when we come back, Tommy, we'll get into Starcade 1986 on Thanksgiving night when we return right here 
on a very special edition of Busted Open. Hi, this is Adam Shine. The Adam Shine Podcast is back for another football season. I'll give you my passionate, hard-hitting takes every week, including picks against the spread and fantasy football advice, all while talking to the biggest guests in all the sports, celebrities, media personalities, diehard football fans on a weekly basis. It's the Adam Shine Podcast with new episodes dropping on Tuesdays. You can listen to the podcast anytime with the SiriusXM app, iTunes, Pandora, and with Stitcher. Back here on Busted Open, Dave LaGreca, Tommy Dreamer on a holiday edition. I hope everyone enjoyed their Thanksgiving, and it's great putting this show together with the thanks of Ed Robinson, of course, my tag team partner, Tommy Dreamer, talking a Thanksgiving tradition, at least it was from 1983 to 1987, with Starcade, Tommy. And then we get into Starcade 86, Night of the Skywalkers. This was another one that I owned on on VHS and again it wasn't the the paper sleeve it was those that hardcore like plastic uh video cassette holders from back in the day and I was actually talking to Ed Robinson and break about this it took like when you ordered a VHS tape back it took like three months for you to get it in the mail Tommy you think about Amazon and yeah. what you're like oh I'm gonna have it by tomorrow uh you had to wait three yep. to four months to see an event if that you really wanted to see. You could have forgotten about this event and all of a sudden this VCR tape is going to show up in your mailbox. But yeah, you had to wait that long for these things. Next time I speak to Keith Mitchell, I'm going to ask him. I know he was probably in the NW at the time, but why the hell did it take so, so long to get this? And Dave, I got to correct you, man. When you talk about Starcade 86, Night of the Skywalkers, you have to say it different. You have to say, Starcade 86, Night of the Skywalkers. It's a very Star Wars reference, but that's what they always did. If you remember those commercials, yep. they always have like a hint of a whisper of Night of the Skywalkers. That was great, Tommy. It, it actually gave me goosebumps because you brought back memories. We're going to have to ask Shivani. Maybe Shivani knows. I'm going to so text him. Shivani doesn't know. And, and that's gonna, a, you text him because I remember, and of course, it takes time to make the tapes and every i remember getting this and it was war i remember going to my mailbox to get this vhs tape and shorts i remember it in my brain like i had shorts on think about that the fucking card took place in november for crying out loud thanksgiving before it was even winter and i'm in shorts when i got it out of my mailbox at my mom and dad's house back in the day i'm texting keith mitchell right now and then i'm going to Tony Schiavone, just right, so find out why as you so damn long. Yeah, I got to know. All right, let's get let's get into the card, because once again, just like because of the success of Starcade 85, the gathering, this took place again in Atlanta at the Omni, which was the home of Georgia Championship Wrestling back in the day. And of course, the Greensboro Coliseum, which was the home of Mid-Atlantic Wrestling back in the day. And now, you know, Jim Crockett promotions. 1986, Tommy. I think 1986 was really the year of Crockett promotions. If I was to go back to 1986, and you talk about the war with the WWF and all those other territories, 1986 was the year of Jim Crockett and, and, and Jim Crockett promotions. I think they were at the top of their game, and I think they were the leader in pro wrestling as well. Uh, I, I really do believe that. And then you saw next year, you, saw, you started seeing the decline. But I think in 1986, nothing was bigger 
than the NWA and Jim Crockett promotions. Well, when we talk to the Ricky Mortons and we talk to, you know, listen to Ric Flair's uh, <clears throat> speech or even when, I, you know, it's me talking to Crusher Khrushchev, <clears throat> he's telling us how many days they're working and it's they worked three times on a Sunday, which means that they did three shows. Ric Flair talks about seven days a week and twice on uh, Sunday, Crusher, uh, Greg Valentine just said, you know, sometimes we worked two times on Thanksgiving, uh, which all this, the amount of wrestling and the amount of uh, awesomeness that went on. And, and Dave, you're, I believe you're hundred percent correct. Cause if you think about it, we're rolling into the great American bash. And now we're working where everyone talks about wrestling in stadiums for, for WrestleMania. They're doing this on a nightly basis in yep. August, every single, you know, and it would always be 30 days of the bash. An incredible, incredible time to be a wrestling fan. Yeah. And I, and they were, and they were wrestling in front of, you know, obviously 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, up to 50, you know, thousand fans during that bash tour. So that tells you how hot Crockett promotions was at that time. But let's talk about Thanksgiving night. 1986, the night, or as you said, the night of the Skywalkers. First match, right off the bat, Tim Horner and Nelson Royal going up against Rocky Carnoodle and Don Carnoodle. Brad Armstrong against... Hang on, Jimmy. hang on. I got I to gotta throw you out there. Do you know who Rocky Carnoodle is? You know what? I do not remember Rocky at all. Don Carnoodle's real brother is Keith Larson. Was, so wait a second. <laughs> So wait a second here. So who is Rocky Carnoodle? They just changed his name. But so his real brother was Keith Larson all these years. I know that. So they just changed his name to Rocky? Yeah, Keith man. Larson well, wrestled in, in Crockett for crying he out probably, loud. I'll have to go back and look, but I'm sure he just cut his hair. He used to have blonde hair. He probably cut it, and there you go. That's amazing to me. How did I not know that? I like to test you every once in a while. See, I, I got to prove I'm a bigger, bigger mark than you are. Uh, well, well, the, the night is young, my friend. The night is young. <laughs> Brad Armstrong against Jimmy Garvin, uh, Hector Guerrero and Baron Von Rashney against uh, Pistol Pez Watley at that time, Shaska Watley and the Barbarian, uh, Crusher Khrushchev and Ivan Koloff against Bobby Jaggers and Dutch Mantel. Kansas if I'm Jayhawk. not mis- the Kansas Jayhawks. Okay, uh, Wahoo McDaniel against Rick Rude, uh, Sam Houston against Bill Dundee, Jimmy Boogie Woogie Man Valiant with Big Mama by his side against Paul Jones um, in a hair versus hair match, um, Big Bubba Rogers against Ronnie Garvin in a street fight, Tully Blanchard against Dusty Rhodes in a first blood match for the NWA World Television Championship, and then... Let's put a pause because let's talk about this matchup. And this is what I think was the marquee matchup and the reason that they tagged it, Night of the Skywalkers, and that's the Road Warriors against the Midnight Express in a Skywalkers scaffold match. Yeah, and, you know, the scaffold match had been done before, but they really, really amped this up. And I remember my favorite part of the entire uh, scaffold feud where they would take a pumpkin and throw it off yes. the the top of the 
the scaffold and they would do it in slow motion as you would see this poor pumpkin fall to and they'd be like that will be your skull jim Cornette, or bobby eaton and dennis condry and that is the famous jim Cornette hanging from the scaffold and big boss man or big bubba rogers at the time and jim Cornette blowing out his knee after that vicious fall and uh, getting severely injured for the time being and had to work uh, continue because back then if you didn't work you didn't get paid yeah so he worked through like you said blown knees because of what happened because i guess big bubba rogers was supposed to catch him off the scaffold didn't quite work out that way uh and jim Cornette landed uh you know feet first onto that mat from that height of the scaffold and you know when you go back and watch it you know it's there's not a lot to that match it looked like bobby and then dennis Condry were scared to death of being up on that scaffold, by the way. So not a lot remember, of action, uh, but it was cool. I remember talking to Bobby about it, and Bobby was, uh, he was like, it wasn't a lot of room, and Bobby was uh, a little bit afraid of heights, and he was just like, he didn't want to go up there, but, you know, when adrenaline's taken over, and those are some amazing pictures I remember back from, you know, Bill Apter of, you know, depth of the height of how, how high those things are and they literally were just on the top two ladders side by side uh to make that scaffold because you could clearly see it and if you think about that where you have four men and two men the size of the road warriors up there wrestling uh again what what the men did back then is truly amazing to entertain uh the wrestling fans and tommy if you go back and watch that match like the the scaffold was like falling apart during the match. Like you saw like pieces of the scaffold start to break off. You know, imagine being up at that height on that scaffold and and pieces of the scaffold are falling off. First of all, I could fall off and probably injure a fan, but if I'm up on that scaffold, I'm saying my prayers because I'm hoping that I'm not a victim like Jim Cornette uh turned out to be by blowing out both knees. The match of the night and if you go back and watch this show, it's tremendous was the next match, and that was in a steel cage for the NWA World Tag Team Championship. The Rock and Roll Express, who were your champions, going up against the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Arn and Ole Anderson. One hell of a tag match at Starcade 86, Tommy. Hell yeah. One, uh, again, steel cage match, settling the feuds, bloody. That's how it's supposed to be. And Dave, man, I'm seriously, I'm looking at this entire card the only match that isn't like a special stipulation and they had a little steam going into it was Hector Guerrero and Baron Von Rashi versus Shaska Watley and the Barbarian. Um, every match pretty much there was one, two, there's three matches with no stipulation and the rest were all stipulations all had, you know, a, a gimmick to the end of it, which is what a big, big-ass show like this should be. It's Yeah, uh, I mean, think about it. You have an Indian strap match, an ODQ match, a hair versus hair match, a street fight, a first blood match, a scaffold match, a steel cage match, and then you have what was the main event, your World Heavyweight Championship match, Ric Flair against Nikita Koloff in a double disqualification. And again, Nikita Koloff, you talk about a guy who was handed the keys, Nikita Koloff, pretty much in pro wrestling uh, for a cup of coffee. But there he is in the main event of the biggest card in pro wrestling against Ric Flair in 1986. But top to bottom, one hell of a starcade, Tommy. And I, I just got word from the 
legend that is Keith Mitchell. And he said he never worked for Crockett. He was uh, in WCW at uh, after they had sold it. So he was not part of the Crockett regime. So he has no clue. Now I go to Tony Schiavone. Got to go to Tony Schiavone. Now I know that Tony Schiavone worked for the production department in the WWF, but I don't know if he did it in the NWA because if he did, he may know the answer. But when we come back, Tommy, let's go in to Starcade 87, the last Starcade on Thanksgiving night. And there's a lot of reasons why. We'll get into it when Tommy and I are back right here. I'm busted open. Hey, everyone. This is Lisa Ann, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with you my experiences, past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on Sirius XM. Each week, I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey and invite friends on to help me read through the endless ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app and Apple Podcasts. Welcome back to Busted Open. Dave LaGreca, Tommy Dreamer, very special holiday edition of Busted Open. I hope everybody enjoyed their Thanksgiving yesterday. And we're talking about a Thanksgiving tradition, Starcade, 83 to 87, Tommy. It's now to get into that last Starcade on Thanksgiving, Starcade 87. And I talked about how healthy the NWA and Jim Crockett promotions was in 1986. Different story, Tommy, in 1987. Yeah, and, you know, there's been a lot of talk about this was, one, taking Starcade out of the Carolinas uh, and or Atlanta. They go up to Chicago. Um, there's a lot of talk about the expansion. And, and yes, there's a lot more starcades and you know maybe on our final segment we'll run those all down because they were kind of insignificant because they weren't the crockett years but you know dave i'm thankful for professional i'm thankful for professional wrestling just like you are but i'm starting to see a pattern and i know a lot of people blame vince mcmahon and the wwe for a lot of things however i'm looking at this starcade and you want to talk about blowing it, blowing it like how the Alliance was blown, blowing it big time and letting history repeat itself. This is when the UWF, which was a thriving wrestling promotion, was now purchased and they're working in cahoots. And this could have been like your biggest like two companies, same like with when they talk about the draft and blowing it. Why does in history they keep on just blowing this print money? Because the UWF and the UWF uh, titles were treat, treated like a redheaded stepchild, yeah. as they like to say. Because, man, I, I'm, I remember this time. I remember saying, man, they have so many great wrestlers. But, you know, this is 1987. I'm 16 years old. There is no internet. But now looking at it, and I'm just like, this is all political BS. And did they ever drop the ball on this one? Great card. But now if you really think about what it could have been, you could have had legit war within your own company, but they don't ever do smart things in wrestling for some reason. Yeah, and we'll get into how this was a war outside of the ring when it came to Jim Crockett and Vince McMahon, especially battling for pay-per-view buys. But you're right about what you're saying in the ring. Um, you know, a good move or a bad move, Jim Crockett bought up the UWF, which was really struggling once they moved from Mid-South to, to the UWF. and you're right. 
They bought that talent. They bought everything. And you had Steve Dr. Death Williams, who's maybe one of the ultimate badasses and just really everything at that time you thought of as a professional wrestler. And he's defending that championship, Tommy. Second match of the card. Not even the first match of the card where you're going to start the show. The second match of the card is Steve Dr. Death Williams defending that UWF heavyweight championship against Barry Windham. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you think about it, I understand what, you know, why they went with it, but could you imagine Ric Flair versus Steve Williams title versus title or some sort? I mean, it's not like they have not done clean finishes in almost every main event. The last year's main event, you know, was a DQ with Flair and, and Nikita you think they could have, I mean, this is printing money. This is your fans of UWF. This is your fans. And look at the baby faces. Look at the heels. Everyone, like I said, talked about the Alliance. Everyone talked about when WWE won and what they could have done with the draft. We're seeing this happen in a company where everyone's like, you know what? I think it's because the WWE won the war, but dude, you have champion versus champion. And it's just, you know, Steve Williams defeats Barry Windham. You're, you could have gone so much with this. And for some reason they just didn't do it and they just unified titles. And then really no mention. And Steve Williams didn't have a big career in, you know, the NWA. No, he really didn't. And then you look at the opening contest. How about this? Eddie Gilbert, Larry Sabisco, and Rick Steiner against Jimmy Garvin, Michael Hayes and sting uh, in a six man tag match. And sting was an up and comer Probably don't want to put him in an opening contest with a six-man, you know, tag. Michael, hey, it, it, it was a very odd pairing and a very odd way to start off the show, Tommy. Yeah, and then, like, I be- Eddie Gilbert, Zabisco, and Steiner are baby faces against Jimmy Valiant. I mean, Jimmy Garvin, Michael Hayes, and Sting as a heel. Uh, I, you got the ladies out there, baby doll impression. I'm going to have to go back. I don't even remember this match, but... It, it is. It just looks like, okay, well, Rick Steiner was from the UWF. Sting just crossed over. Michael Hayes was an announcer for the UWF. I don't know if he had come back at this time. Steiner and Gilbert were part of the UWF. It, it's it's a hodgepodge of talent. And Larry Zabisco was already there in you know for Crockett or yep. for WCW. It's let's just put all these guys together. Whew. Yeah. Didn't really work. And then, but you know, one thing that did work in a Skywalker's match, the Rock and Roll Express against the Midnight Express, once again, you know, Jim Cornette doesn't learn from his lesson last year, so he does it again next year. Uh, Nikita Koloff, your NWA TV champion, going up against Terry Taylor, your UWF TV champion, and Nikita Koloff gets the win. Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard go up against the Road Warriors for the NWA World Tag Team Championship. Dusty Rhodes and Lex Luger uh, in a steel cage for the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship. And then a match that I think is, you know, underappreciated, and that's Ric Flair against Ronnie Garvin in a steel cage match for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. And this is where Ric Flair wins back that NWA championship. You know, very odd because you never really saw Ronnie Garvin as an NWA World Heavyweight Champion. And, you know, there he is trying to defend that title against Ric Flair in a steel cage in the main event at Starcade. Yeah, it was. And this was, I don't want to say a different time, but this was, you know, 
the baby faces were cheered and the heels were booed. And now we're starting to cheer for Ric Flair over your baby face champion, Ronnie Garvin. Um, there's been a lot of talk of why they switched the title uh, and put it on Ronnie for the, for the short time that he had. But it's it just, it's a weird, weird period. And literally after that, Ronnie didn't do much. I mean, Flair still remained Flair, but Ronnie really dropped down on the card. And if you think about what we were talking about earlier, literally two years before this, he was dressed as Miss Atlanta Lively and not doing a whole lot. And it's just, it's a weird period. It really is. And you could, like you said, I think because of a lot of the behind the scenes and, and money issues, uh, all that stuff, it was uh, not as, and look at the matches, dude. There's seven matches as opposed to the other shows. And, you know, everything had a, a stipulation. Now this is just, you know, two steel cage matches and a scaffold match. It's uh, no, no bloody matches in the sense of no, I quit, no violent type of matches, which back then, it's uh, it's weird. It's a weird time. Yeah, and, and there's a couple of things off of what you said. First of all, you're right. There's only seven matches, and the longest match on the card was just under 19 minutes. was the longest match on the show. It was a very, very short card. And I remember, you know, I, bought, I was one of the few uh, cable companies, my cable company at the time, um, which is no longer in existence, actually carried this, carried this show. I went you know, to the cable company in Oakland, New Jersey to, to, to rent the box to be able to get this pay-per-view. But not many cable companies carried it. I think they dropped the ball with the card. I think they dropped the ball at the length of time with the card. But the biggest thing that you said, Tommy, I think, is what you said about Ric Flair and Ronnie Garvin. Ronnie Garvin was your babyface champion. This was right, you know, at the height of the Four Horsemen. You know, and the, the Four Horsemen and the whole deal with Dusty. But Ric Flair was loved. And another thing that you brought up earlier, this wasn't at the Greensboro Coliseum, the first ever Starcade that wasn't at the Greensboro Coliseum. It was in Chicago. And that Chicago crowd, as we know, is could be smart and kind of snarky, was cheering for Flair and outright booing Ronnie Garvin in that match. Yeah, and if you want to talk about, man, uh, a crap move, this is when, you know, we talked about a little bit with Valentine. Here we go, where guess what your competition does, David? What do they do? Oh, we'll get yeah. into that. Because uh, what they did is they ended the reign of Starcade on Thanksgiving. And we'll get into that, Tommy, when we're Bastard. back right here on Busted Open. Why would you make me choose? This is Nicole Auerbach, and I want to invite you inside the Coaches Clubhouse, a brand new podcast from SiriusXM that examines what drives coaches on and off the sidelines. We talk to coaches from all different sports and all walks of life about their passion for the profession, their mentors, philosophies, and stories, and also what they care about when they're outside the spotlight. We'll give you a unique perspective on some of the greats in their profession, from Olympic coaches to Super Bowl champions and everyone in between. New episodes out every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. First of all, Thank you, Nation, for your loyalty. Thank you, Nation, for hanging in there with us each and every single show. We hope we're bringing you some quality pro wrestling programming. And thank you to Ed Robinson, producer of this show, Tommy, that put this all together. Thanks to Greg Dammer Valentine for joining us talking about Starcade 83. And again, that sweet spot when you talk about Thanksgiving night, Starcade 83 to 87 but tommy let's talk about the aftermath because starcade 87 the final starcade on thanksgiving night 
Yeah. Um, you know, I hope for the listeners, they go back there, whether it's YouTube, whether you still have those VCR tapes or you go on the WWE network, you go back and watch this stuff uh, because I, I can't wait to do it. I am going to do it on Thanksgiving night. I'm probably going to do it a couple of days before it as well. Um, <clears throat> just because it's a different time. And if you never got to see it, you can watch it and appreciate it. And if you have seen it before, it may open your eyes to some of the stuff that we're talking about, but yeah, the business changed and it changed big time because, Hey, there's rivalries. Hey, we want to put each other out of business. Hey, we hate each other. And the WWE strikes with venom. Yeah. And you gotta admit like the big blow, Tommy wasn't at a star It wasn't at, you know, uh, a survivor series though. We'll get into that. But the, but the big blow was WrestleMania three when WrestleMania three happened and you had 93,000 fans in attendance. That's all Vince McMahon needed. Just that footage of that crowd at the Pontiac Silverdome. And that was enough when we went to Starcade 87, where he went to all these cable companies and said, Hey, if you carry Starcade, you can forget about the WWF and WWF 1987. They owned it. It was their year. And they had their own show in Survivor Series. So they went to every cable company and said, listen, you could pick us or you could pick them. And most cable companies picked the WWF and Survivor Series in 1987, Tommy. Yeah, and they had the whole pay-per-view wars. And then if you remember, we go into the bunkhouse stampede, which I'm still angry about because I never saw the beginning of it because there was a problem with the feed and even though they were given the way and I was paying for it on pay-per-view, they held uh, something called this, uh, I think it may stick, the Royal Rumble for free. And uh, a lot of people tuned out. Plus, you couldn't get it. I remember flipping the channels back and forth, being freaking out. And then what does Crockett do? They say, oh, yeah, you want to do something called WrestleMania? We'll do something called Clash of Champions. And, you know, Dave, we see this. We have saw it during the, the WCW wars with wwe and you know we see it on wednesday nights with nxt and aew it's just funny because you know sadly there's a winner and a loser where there's a lot of nights of the week you don't need to do that to each other you don't need to step on each other's toes uh, i've experienced it a little bit in impact wrestling where you know they're about to announce a date for a pay-per-view and then all of a sudden wwe has announced a pay-per-view yeah uh, it's just it's weird i wish it never happened but it did which led to, hey, they had a long run, but Starcade really wasn't as meaningful. And uh, I'm, I'm reading here something about like a buy rate and, it, you know, Starcade do a 3-3 while Survivor Series did a 7. And it's basically, hey, like you said, you carry this, you don't get it. So, uh, yeah, they kind of won. Yeah, he, and, and here's the thing, Tommy, when you look back at 1987 with Survivor Series, like you said, you know, Vince McMahon made you choose. But you talked about how dominant Starcade was on Thanksgiving night. It wasn't long with Survivor Series that Vince McMahon stopped putting Survivor Series on Thanksgiving night. Believe it or not, Survivor Series 1990, they, they only had 380,000 pay-per-view buys for that, for that Survivor Series in 1990, a far cry from everything that you thought of when it came to, you know, Thanksgiving night. So Vince McMahon, ah, I did what I had to do, you know, to the NWA and that rich tradition of Starcade. But you know what? The numbers aren't there. So I'm off of Thanksgiving night. 
So just three years later, Tommy, Vince McMahon quit on having Survivor Series on Thanksgiving night. Dave, I got to tell you one thing, and that's what I said before. Um, I remember when ECW was going to do their first ever pay-per-view, Barely Legal, and Paul Heyman said, I have to do it in Philadelphia because these people supported us, and we paid to get the building upgraded, and it was a shithole. It was our shithole, but he had to stand by it. <clears throat> There's a lot of things, but them moving it and going outside their home base where you know Christmas night, Thanksgiving night were always that staple to be in the Carolinas and then when they expanded to Atlanta, because you know, you remember from George Championship Wrestling, they had their big Thanksgiving night spectaculars. There were known draws in that area. Yep. So when you do that stuff, it kind of pisses your fan base off. And just like I said, I was pissed off when you know, here came the bunkhouse brawl. It was up here in Long Island. And yet, because of snow and issues, we can't sell the feed. And then there's something on for free television. There's moments too that <clears throat> the NWA or, or Crockett, they messed up too. Uh, yes, Vince McMahon bailing on it. That's a business decision, but there's, you got to look in yourself in the mirror. And just like I said, they had that whole UWF thing where you could have been printing ass money, but they didn't. And you look at everything that everyone has complained about and have blamed the WWE. There's a little bit of blame here because if you know, you want to go down the rest of the starcades, it is like a who's who of, ugh. I mean, it really is. It's sad because of this great tr wrestling tradition that really, it, it, they had another, what, 10 to, they had a long run, Yes, but it really wasn't, wasn't the best. And it wasn't, and it wasn't their top when, you know, when, when it became WCW, Starcade wasn't really their big show of the year anymore either. And, and yeah, they didn't put a lot into it like they did in that, like I said, the heyday of 83 to 87. And speaking of Starcade 87, you talked about leaving their fan base, you know, moving from Greensboro and going to Chicago. That really upset a lot of fans that they did that. That was the tradition of being at the Greensboro Coliseum. Understand it a little bit if you're switching back and forth with the Omni in Atlanta. That's another NWA mainstay. But now they move out to Chicago didn't have the same. And also, I talked about getting the VHS tapes. I got a, a VHS tape of Chi-Town Heat, you know, and it didn't come in that big plastic uh, cover anymore. Now it was the paper cover. So that tells you that the, the funding and the finances were starting to go down. And here's something interesting as well. If Starcade was their Super Bowl, Tommy, the night before Starcade 87, the NWA had a show in the Nassau Coliseum in Long Island the night before. So, you know, is it the smartest thing to have a show the night before your quote-unquote Super Bowl in New York where you now have to travel to Chicago right afterwards for this big show? So, you're right. There was a lot of head-scratching decisions by Jim Crockett. And, and, you know, going down the list of Starcades. I remember Starcade 9, Future Shock, where they're like, this is the future of wrestling. And it was just all tag team stuff. And, you know, teams fought each other. I just read Starcade 90, where they did another tournament. And the main event was Sting versus the Black Scorpion, who was Ric Flair in the worst disguise ever. And they were also, because they were in St. Louis, they're going to Dick the Bruiser for, you know, that old school Keel Auditorium uh, we're trying to bring in some extra fans with the local Dick the Bruiser. And then we had the Battle Bowls. <clears throat> and it was, you know, two years in a row of Battle Bowl. Uh, it's just, ugh, 
And then total WCW after that, like you said, where, you know, uh, I'm going down the list. It, it's now Hulk Hogan has come over there. There's, you know, he was really never to me a WCW guy. He was always yeah. a WWE guy. And they're just using all that stuff to, uh, I don't know, try to to sell out a card. And I'm, I'm sure they did good financially, but it's just the tradition is, is gone. And, and then for some reason they made the last four uh, starcades at the MCI center uh, in Washington. And I have no clue until eventually the business kind of goes away in 2000 and then WWE brings it back in uh, Greensboro in 2017. Yeah. And, and listen, there was some, there were some really bad WCW Starcade events, but there were some great matches. Obviously everyone remembers from Starcade 93, uh, Vader and Ric Flair for the WCW championship. That was, that was awesome. But like, again, if you really look at the heyday, Tully Blanchard and Magnum TA in that I quit match, in 85 Piper and Greg Valentine in 83 and again uh, underrated and underappreciated from Starcade 86 Arn Anderson and Ole Anderson against the Rock and Roll Express those three matches would probably be the three matches that I would tell a lot of fans that are listening now that have never seen them go to the network and see those matches yeah I would agree uh, on all of those uh, but Dude, I'm just seriously. I'm going back. I'm disappointed. We gotta. I gotta pick up this podcast a bit. I gotta try to find the the positive because just thinking about it, what what it was, and then what it what it became, it does. It makes me a little sad, and it's just uh, ugh, like ugh. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of a a jovial way. Who was the? If we're going starcades, let's say we go to. What person was the most you totally knew who they were? Was it Ronnie Garvin, Miss Atlanta Lively, Jimmy Valiant as Charlie Brown, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed as Doom, or Ric Flair versus the Scorpion? How about that for insulting our intelligence, but like yeah. in a fun way? Who do you yeah. think it is? Uh, I, I would probably have to go with Doom. What do you think? Yeah, because at least they gave him the quarter mask. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. It was a, they didn't go full blown. Um, could, when you look at the tradition of, of you know, not only like we could do, you know, talk about Christmas as well, Tommy. Could they ever go back to having those big shows on Thanksgiving night again? I don't think so. Uh, the way their business has. And, you know, even when they would talk about it, I think it was either Christmas or Thanksgiving where people were talking about their families and all that stuff. It's a different time. There would be so much backlash. Uh, you couldn't do it just because people are like, how dare you not want people to spend time with their family instead of working, you bastards. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 